Appendix A of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary J. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4, by James Boswell. Appendix A. There are at least three accounts of this altercation and three versions of the lines. Two of these versions nearly agree. The earliest is found in a letter by Richard Burke, Sr., dated January 6, 1773, the second in the Annual Register for 1776, and the third in Miss Reynolds' Recollections. R. Burke places the scene in Reynolds' house. Whether he himself was present is not clear. The dean, he says, asserted that after forty-five a man did not improve. "'I differ with you, sir,' answered Johnson. "'A man may improve, and you yourself have great room for improvement.' The dean was confounded, and for the instant silent. Recovering, he said, "'On recollection I see no cause to alter my opinion, except that I was to call it improvement for a man to grow, which, I allow he may, positive, rude, and insolent, and save arguments by brutality.' Neither the annual register nor Miss Reynolds reports the dean's speech, but she says that, soon after the ladies withdrew, Dr. Johnson followed them, and sitting down by the lady of the house, that is, by herself, if they were at Sir Joshua's, he said, "'I am very sorry for having spoken so rudely to the dean.' "'You may very well, sir.' "'Yes,' he said, "'it was highly improper to speak in that style to a minister of the gospel, and I am the more hurt on reflecting with what mild dignity he received it.' If Johnson really spoke of the dean's mild dignity, it is clear that Richard Burke's account is wrong. But it was written just after the scene, and Boswell says there was a pretty smart altercation.' Miss Reynolds continues, When the dean came up into the drawing-room, Dr. Johnson immediately rose from his seat, and made him sit on the sofa by him, and with such a beseeching look for pardon, and with such fond gestures, literally smoothing down his arms and knees, etc. The annual register says that Barnard the next day sent the verses addressed to Sir Joshua Reynolds and Company. On the next page I give Richard Burke's version of the lines, and show the various readings. Richard Burke's Version I lately thought no man alive could e'er improve past forty-five, and ventured to assert it. The observation was not new, but seemed to me so just and true that none could controvert it. No, sir, says Johnson, tis not so. That's your mistake, and I can show an instance if you doubt it. You, sir, who are near forty-eight, may much improve, tis not too late. I wish you'd set about it. Encouraged thus to mend my faults, I turned his counsel in my thoughts, which way I should apply it. Learning and wit seemed past my reach, for who can learn where none will teach? And wit I could not buy it. Then come, my friends, and try your skill. You can improve me if you will. My books are at a distance. With you I'll live and learn, and then instead of books I shall read men. So lend me your assistance. Dear Knight of Plimpton, teach me how to suffer with unruffled brow, and smile serene like thine, the jest uncouth or truth severe, to such apply my deafest ear, and calmly drink my wine. Thou sayest, not only skill is gained, but genius too may be obtained, by studious imitation. Thy temper mild, thy genius fine, I'll copy till I make them mine, by constant application. Thy art of pleasing teach me, Garrick, thou who reversest odes Pindaric, a second time read o'er. Oh, could we read thee backwards too, last thirty years thou shouldst review, and charm us thirty more. If I have thoughts and can't express em, Gibbon shall teach me how to dress em, in terms select and terse. Jones teach me modesty and Greek, Smith how to think, Burke how to speak, and Beauclerk to converse. 
Let Johnson teach me how to place, and fairest light each borrowed grace, from him I'll learn to write. Copy his clear and easy style, and grow from roughness of his file, grow as himself, polite. Miss Reynolds' Version I lately thought no man alive could e'er improve past forty-five, and ventured to assert it. The observation was not new, but seemed to me so just and true that none could controvert it. No, sir, says Johnson, tis not so, tis your mistake, and I can show an instance if you doubt it. You, who perhaps are near forty-eight, may still improve, tis not too late, I wish you'd set about it. Encouraged thus to mend my faults, I turned his counsel in my thoughts, which way I could apply it. Genius, I knew, was past my reach, for who can learn what none can teach? When and wit I could not buy it. Then come, my friends, and try your skill. You may improve me, if you will. My books are at a distance. With you I'll live and learn, and then instead of books I shall read men. So lend me your assistance. Dear Knight of Plimpton, teach me how to suffer with unclouded brow, and smile serene as thine, the jest uncouth and truth severe, like thee to turn my deafest ear, and calmly drink my wine. Thou sayest, not only skill is gained, but genius too may be attained, by studious invitation, by temper mild, by genius fine, I'll study till I make them mine, by constant meditation. Thy art of pleasing teach me, Garrick, thou who reverest odes Pindaric, a second time read o'er. Oh, could we read thee backwards, too, past thirty years thou shouldst review, and charm us thirty more. If I have thoughts and can't express em, Gibbon shall teach me how to dress em, in terms select and terse. Jones teach me modesty, and Greek, Smith how to think, Burke how to speak, and Beauclerk to converse. Let Johnson teach me how to place in fairest light each borrowed grace, from him I'll learn to write. Copy his free and easy style, and from the roughness of his file, grow like himself polite. Annual Register I lately thought no man alive could e'er improve past forty-five, and ventured to assert it. The observation was not new, but seemed to me so just and true that none could controvert it. No, sir, says Johnson, tis not so. That's your mistake, and I can show, an instance if you doubt it. You, sir, who are near forty-eight, may much improve, tis not too late. I wish you'd set about it. Encouraged thus to mend my faults, I turned his counsel in my thoughts, which way I should apply it. Learning and wit seemed past my reach, for who can learn when none will teach? And wit I could not buy it. Then come, my friends, and try your skill. You can inform me, if you will, my books are at a distance. With you I live and learn, and then, instead of books, I shall read men, to lend me your assistance. Dear Knight of Plimpton, teach me how to suffer with unruffled brow, and smile serene like thine, the just uncouth or truth severe, to such apply my deafest ear. I'll turn and drink my wine. Thou sayest, not only skill is gained, but genius too may be attained, by studious imitation. Thy temper mild, thy genius fine, I'll copy till I make thee mine, by constant application. Thy art of pleasing teach me, Garrick, thou who reverest odes Pindaric, O second time read o'er. Oh, could we read thee backwards too, last thirty years thou shouldst review, and charm us thirty more. If I have thoughts and can't express em, Gibbon shall teach me how to dress em, in terms select and terse. Jones teach me modesty and Greek, Smith how to think, Burke how to speak, Burke and Beauclerk to converse. Let Johnson teach me how to place, and fairest light each borrowed grace, from him I'll learn to write. Copy his clear and easy style, and from the roughness of his file, grow like himself, polite. Horace Walpole, on December twenty-seventh, seventeen seventy-five, speaks of these verses as if they were fresh. They are an answer, he writes, to a gross brutality of Dr. Johnson, to which a proper answer would have been to fling a glass of wine in his face. 
I have no patience with an unfortunate monster trusting to his helpless deformity for indemnity for any impertinence that his arrogance suggests, and who thinks that what he has read is an excuse for everything he says. It is strange that Walpole should be so utterly ignorant of Johnson's courage and bodily strength. The date of Walpole's letter makes me suspect that Richard Burke dated his January 6, 1775. He should have written 1776. And the blunder of a copyist changed his 1775 into 1773. End of Appendix A